Chapter Twelve of Around the World in Eighty Days by Jules Verne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Twelve, in which Phileas Fogg and his companions venture across the Indian forests and what ensued. In order to shorten the journey, the guide passed to the left of the line where the railway was still in the process of being built. This line, owing to the capricious turnings of the Vindia Mountains, did not pursue a straight course. The Parsee, who was quite familiar with the roads and paths in the district, declared that they would gain twenty miles by striking directly into the forest. Phileas Fogg and Sir Francis Cromarty were plunged to the neck in the peculiar outas provided for them, were horribly jostled by the swift trotting of the elephant, spurred on as he was by the skilful Parsee. But they endured the comfort with true British phlegm talking little and scarcely able to catch a glimpse of each other as for passepartout who was mounted on the beast's back and received the direct force of each concussion as he trod along he was very careful in accordance with his master's advice to keep his tongue from between his teeth as it would otherwise have been bitten off short the worthy fellow bounced from the elephant's neck to his rump and vaulted like a clown on a springboard yet he laughed in the midst of his bouncing and from time to time took a piece of sugar out of his pocket and inserted it in Keone's trunk, who received it without in the least slackening his regular trot. After two hours the guide stopped the elephant, and gave him an hour for rest, during which Keone, after quenching his thirst at a neighboring spring, set to devouring the branches and shrubs around him. Neither Sir Francis nor Mr. Fogg regretted the delay, and both descended with a feeling of relief. "'Why, he's made of iron!' exclaimed the general, gazing admiringly on Keone. "'Of forged iron!' replied passepartout as he set about preparing a hasty breakfast at noon the parsee gave the signal of departure the country soon presented a very savage aspect copses of dates and dwarf palms succeeded the dense forests then vast dry plains dotted with scanty shrubs and sown with great blocks of cyanite all this portion of bendelkund which is little frequented by travellers is inhabited by a fanatical population hardened in the most horrible practices of the hindu faith the English have not been able to secure complete dominion over this territory, which is subjected to the influence of Rajas, whom it is almost impossible to reach in their inaccessible mountain fastnesses. The traveller several times saw bands of ferocious Indians, who, when they perceived the elephant striding across country, made angry and threatening motions. The Parsee avoided them as much as possible. Few animals were observed on the route. Even the monkeys hurried from their path with contortions and grimaces which convulsed Passepartout with laughter. In the midst of his gaiety, however, one thought troubled the worthy servant. What would Mr. Fogg do with the elephant when he got to Allahabad? Would he carry him on with him? Impossible! The cost of transporting him would make him ruinously expensive. Would he sell him or set him free? The estimable beast certainly deserved some consideration. Should Mr. Fogg choose to make him, Passepartout, a present of Keuni, he would be very much embarrassed, and these thoughts did not cease worrying him for a long time. The principal chain of the Vindias was crossed by eight in the evening, and another halt was made on the northern slope, in a ruined bungalow. They had gone nearly twenty-five miles that day, and an equal distance still separated them from the station of Allahabad. The night was cold. The Parsee lit a fire in the bungalow with a few dry branches, and the warmth was very grateful. Provisions purchased at Colby sufficed for supper, and the travellers ate ravenously, 
the conversation beginning with a few disconnected phrases soon gave place to loud and steady snores the guide watched kiuni who slept standing bolstering himself against the trunk of a large tree nothing occurred during the night to disturb the slumberers although occasional growls from panthers and chatterings of monkeys broke the silence the more formidable beasts made no cries or hostile demonstration against the occupants of the bungalow sir francis slept heavily like an honest soldier overcome with fatigue passepartout was wrapped in uneasy dreams of the bouncing of the day before as for mr fogg he slumbered as peacefully as if he had been in his serene mansion in savile row the journey was resumed at six in the morning the guide hoped to reach allahabad by evening in that case mr fogg would only lose a part of the forty-eight hours saved since the beginning of the tour kiuni resuming his rapid gait soon descended the lower parts of the vindias and towards noon they passed by the village of callinger on the cani one of the branches of the ganges the guide avoided inhabited places thinking it safer to keep the open country which lies along the first depressions of the basin of the great river allahabad was now only twelve miles to the northeast they stopped under a clump of bananas the fruit of which as healthy as bread and as succulent as cream was amply partaken of and appreciated at two o'clock the guide entered a thick forest which extended several miles he preferred to travel under cover of the woods they had not as yet any unpleasant encounters and the journey seemed on the point of being successfully accomplished when the elephant becoming restless suddenly stopped it was then four o'clock what's the matter asked sir francis putting out his head i don't know officer replied the parsee listening attentively to a confused murmur which came through the thick branches the murmur soon became more distinct it now seemed like a distant concert of human voices accompanied by brass instruments passepartout was all eyes and ears mr fogg patiently waited without a word the parsee jumped to the ground fastened the elephant to a tree and plunged into the thicket he soon returned saying a procession of brahmins is coming this way we must prevent their seeing us if possible the guide unloosed the elephant and led him into a thicket at the same time asking the travellers not to stir he held himself ready to bestride the animal at a moment's notice should sight become necessary but he evidently thought that the procession of the faithful would pass without perceiving them amid the thick foliage in which they were wholly concealed the discordant tones of the voices and instruments drew nearer and now droning songs mingled with the sounds of tambourines and cymbals the head of the procession soon appeared beneath the trees a hundred paces away and the strange figures who performed the religious ceremony were easily distinguished through the branches first came the priests with mitres on their heads and clothed in long lace robes they were surrounded by men women and children who sang a kind of lugubrious psalm interrupted at regular intervals by the tambourines and cymbals while behind them was drawn a car with large wheels the spokes of which represented serpents entwined with each other upon the car which was drawn by four richly caparisoned zebus stood a hideous statue with four arms the body coloured a dull red with haggard eyes dishevelled hair protruding tongue and lips tinted with betel it stood upright upon the figure of a prostrate and headless giant sir francis recognising the statue whispered the goddess kali the goddess of love and death of death perhaps muttered back passepartout but of love that ugly old hag never the parsee made a motion to keep silence a group of old fakirs were capering and making a wild ado around the statue these were striped with ochre and covered with cuts whence their blood issued drop by drop 
stupid fanatics who in the great Indian ceremonies still throw themselves under the wheels of Juggernaut. Some Brahmins, clad in all the sumptuousness of Oriental apparel, and leading a woman who faltered at every step, followed. This woman was young, and as fair as a European. Her head and neck, shoulders, ears, arms, hands, and toes were loaded down with jewels and gems with bracelets, earrings, and rings, while a tunic bordered with gold and covered with a light muslin robe betrayed the outline of her form. The guards who followed the young woman presented a violent contrast to her, armed as they were with naked sabres hung at their waists, and long damascened pistols, and bearing a corpse on a palanquin. It was the body of an old man, gorgeously arrayed in the habiliments of a raja, wearing, as in life, a turban embroidered with pearls, a robe of tissue of silk and gold, a scarf of cashmere sewed with diamonds, and the magnificent weapons of a Hindu prince. Next came the musicians and a rear guard of capering fakirs, whose cries sometimes drowned the noise of the instruments. These closed the procession. Sir Francis watched the procession with a sad countenance, and turning to the guide, said, A suitee. The Parsee nodded, and put a finger to his lips. The procession slowly wound under the trees, and soon its last ranks disappeared in the depths of the woods. The song gradually died away. Occasionally cries were heard in the distance, until at last all was silence again. Phileas Fogg had heard what Sir Francis said, and, as soon as the procession had disappeared, asked, "'What is a suttee?' "'A suttee,' returned the general, "'is a human sacrifice, but a voluntary one. The woman you have just seen will be burned to-morrow at the dawn of day.' "'Oh, the scoundrels!' cried Passepartout, who could not repress his indignation. "'And the corpse?' asked Mr. Fogg. "'Is that of the prince, her husband?' said the guide." an independent raja of bundelkund is it possible resumed phileas fogg his voice betraying not the least emotion that these barbarous customs still exist in india and that the english have been unable to put a stop to them these sacrifices do not occur in the larger portion of india replied sir francis but we have no power over these savage territories and especially here in bundelkund the whole district north of the vindahis is the theatre of incessant murders and pillage the poor wretch exclaimed passepartout to be burned alive yes returned sir francis burned alive and if she were not you cannot conceive what treatment she would be obliged to submit to from her relatives they would shave off her hair feed her on a scanty allowance of rice treat her with contempt she would be looked upon as an unclean creature and would die in some corner like a scurvy dog the prospect of so frightful an existence drives these poor creatures to sacrifice much more than love or religious fanaticism sometimes however the sacrifice is really voluntary and it requires the active interference of the government to prevent it several years ago when i was living at bombay a young widow asked permission of the governor to be burned along with her husband's body but as you may imagine he refused the woman left town took refuge with an independent rajah and there carried out her self-devoted purpose while sir francis was speaking the guide shook his head several times and now said the sacrifice which will take place to-morrow at dawn is not a voluntary one how do you know everybody knows about this affair in bundelkund but the wretched creature did not seem to be making any resistance observed sir francis that was because they had intoxicated her with fumes of hemp and opium but where are they taking her to the pagoda of pillaji two miles from here she will pass the night there and the sacrifice will take place to-morrow at the first light of dawn the guide now led the elephant out of the thicket and leapt upon his neck just at the moment that he was about to urge kiuni forward with a peculiar whistle 
Mr. Fogg stopped him, and, turning to Sir Francis Cromarty, said, Suppose we save this woman. Save the woman, Mr. Fogg? I have yet twelve hours to spare. I can devote them to that. Why, you are a man of heart. Sometimes, replied Phileas Fogg, quietly, when I have the time. End of chapter 12